that would that would for my personal farm yeah that would wreck me i mean mm. there's that that can't be a thing that if mm. if that were to have happened in my operation it would have been game over right there this is the real food real people podcast a number of different things that people growing food these days have to keep track of is insane not just all of the stuff about growing and how that part actually works but also the logistics of keeping multiple pieces moving and having workers and equipment and schedules, so much stuff. And then on top of that, political pressure, regulatory pressures that are unclear and people don't know what they're supposed to be doing sometimes to make sure they are doing everything just right and by the book. It's a lot for anybody to manage and our guest this week opens up about that. He farms several different crops, which means he's got a lot of different stuff to keep track of. His name is Brady Karstetter, and he farms in the Quincy area here in Washington. Thank you for joining us for the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is uh, documenting my journey uh, across the state and uh, everywhere I can go to find the real stories of people who grow our food here. Now let's go to Quincy where we talk with Brady Karstetter. So how do you describe yourself as a farmer? Like, what kind of, of farmer are you? Uh, I guess that's a vast question, but, uh, <laughs> you know, to be a farmer, it takes several hats, you know, and uh, I think it takes a special person to do, do what we're doing out here. Not just me, but everybody, I would say, that as a farmer's got similar characteristics as far as um, just being able to to handle the day to day everything getting thrown at you. I mean, you can start your day thinking one thing's going to happen and turns around. So um, I'm good at handling the stress and the the day to day for sure. I mean, I've had good crops, I've had bad crops, and you know, what you have to do is take from each year and learn from it and adapt onto the next year and, you know, progressively get better as you, as you go on. But like many say, we got 40, 40 seasons to get this right. So, um, I just work, work every year to try to try to get better at it. Explain what that means. 40 seasons to get it right. Well, um, I've been farming for eight years now on my own, small scale, kind of getting, getting bigger as I as I go but assuming that after 40 crop crop seasons I'll be to the point where I hopefully can retire or maybe give it to my kids or something like that uh, along those lines so that's what I mean I got 40 40 years of growing a crop to try to get it right and to try to pinpoint it and it's not just one crop either you know every year is different so right. it uh that's that's kind of what I mean by 40 years or yeah. 40, 40 times. Yeah. So you, you talk about crops. What are your crops? Like if, if you were to go to wherever, you know, you're on vacation in Hawaii and they say, Hey, oh, you're a farmer. Like what kind of farmer are you? Okay. So, um, our operation's a little different than, than some, um, dad specializes in orchard, apples, cherries, and pears. And, we will, me and my brother, uh, will eventually work our way into that. We help him, but my dad mainly manages that. And then my brother and I do uh, sweet corn, field corn, cattle, 
Hay, Timothy, and then uh, we we custom bail for uh, hay exporters, and then we we do a little bit of straw where we'll go up to the dry land and buy it from the farmer behind the combine and mm. come in there and bail it up. So a little bit of everything keeps so the guys busy. After they take the weed off, you just come in and yep, they slam their header on the ground and they instead of spreading it, they windrow it, and then we just come in with balers, trucks, stackers, and haul it out of there and sell it to the dairies and feedlots around here. So yeah. need to grab that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, phones. Yeah. Always on them. <laughs> and it's changed farming too, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how they did it with before phones. I mean, if I couldn't communicate with all my guys and all the yeah. quick questions, I don't, I don't know how they did it back then. But yeah, I've thought about that too. I remember you know, my dad was doing custom farming when I was real little. Okay. So I don't remember much about it, but like, how would you line up fields and go from one to the next and let somebody know that you need to be, get picked up? Cause mm-hmm. you, you take a tractor from one place to the other and yeah, no. And that's, that's another thing too, is uh, just without phones. I don't know how, I, I really don't know how they did it because um, the hardest part I would say of my job is, you can't be everywhere at once and with a farm this diversified and a lot going on it's you got to have a lot of trust in your people and you got to have people that understand what needs to be done before it needs to be done i right. mean by that i mean 24 48 72 hours out you better be lining these guys up making sure everything's in place um and so just having good help that of people that understand you know the big picture so it's a lot of it's about logistics, really. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, you better have everything set up in place the, the night before, or some some guys in particular on my farm will just stand there. <laughs> it's like, what have you been doing? I've been waiting for you. I'm like, okay, yeah. But uh, that's how it goes, you know. You get good people, you get bad people. We've had we have great employees, um, and. It, uh, they definitely make the world go, the, the good ones really make the world go around. Yeah. So talk about what, what crops are you working on right now? Like corn. What, what, what's growing we're, right we're now? We're all corn this year. Um, corn price is on fire and hit 200 last, uh, last night. So pretty happy about that. 200 meaning what? $200 a ton. So, mm. um, it generally, I know a couple years ago it was around that 165, 170, but granted our inputs weren't quite there as in fuel fertilizer and etc but with corn being right there that's that's awesome and it's easy to grow you know it's uh it's kind of hard to mess up corn if you put it in on time and well i've seen people do it yeah i know you can mess (laughs) it up and you can mess up anything in this industry but as far as other crops you can grow the beans and um you know beans are a lot more temperamental and some of these other cash crops onions spuds i mean those those take a little more little more babysitting so corn is that corn for human consumption animal consumption what what kind of a product is it are you selling the whole plant some corn uh so we're growing seed sweet and dry so all the dry will go um for you know uh, it goes to chs and so whether they're going to do ethanol with it or ground it up and make some feed um Mm -hmm. it's kind of up to them but uh the sweet corn obviously um some of it will be super sweet table corn, and then some of it will be processed corn that you'll find in your stores, cut Here, up in a bag. Yeah, frozen. frozen. And then the seed is for Monsanto and 
I'm assuming guys will be planting that somewhere in the United States. Um, so, yeah. So what's the process, planting corn, getting corn going out here? I mean, I, I, I planted corn. Granted, it's different corns, field yep. corn, where they chop up the whole plant for yep. animal feed, for dairies. For silage. For silage yep. back on the west side. You're growing a totally different kind of corn in a way. Yep. How, talk us through the process. Okay, so, um, well, right now, so today, later today, we'll be planting. So I've been pre-irrigating like crazy. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm fairly young. One of my biggest, I think, mistakes from previous years was just not enough water. I mean, mm. you can't get enough water, you know. And so I, you want that profile as full as you can get it and give that corn a good habitat. And, and some of our dirt here in Quincy, it's really heavy. So if you can get that corn in the ground without having to put water on it, you won't crust that dirt. Mm-hmm. And so if you crust that dirt and that seed's trying to poke up, um, it might hit that crust and turn. So, in, you know, these are, like I said, the things that you learn as yeah. you do. And So uh, the idea is to get the water in first, then the plant water. into moist soil. Yep, moist soil. Don't. I mean, you can water it up, but... If I were to water these circles, I'll be planting today in particular, um, you would have to just keep the water on. And a lot of the times I've seen it, the seed will be sitting there underneath that dirt, mm-hmm. trying and trying and trying. And sometimes it just takes that circle to go over it, loosen up that soil, and mm-hmm. that seed will poke out within a couple hours. And, you know, if the sun's out and it's just, it's it's crazy. But so then we, so we're, we're pre-irrigating right now, getting our field spread um, with, either manure or um, uh, commercial fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be putting putting the seed in the ground. And then from there, I mean, you just got to watch your water. Watch your yeah. water and make sure that that thing is happy. We got one spray in between all that for weeds. And then other than that, let it grow until harvest. Harvest, we're, for dry corn in particular, we're taking it, just the kernel, mm-hmm. um, the cob, I mean, um, for the kernels thrash it and then the rest is left for the cows so and then what about like sweet corn how do you do you have to pick that by hand or you got have harvester that does that or how do you do it so the sweet corn um it's so we have our own combines for the dry corn so we do that it's a little more legwork for the farmer sweet corn's a decent program for um the fact of they come and do the harvesting so they have their corn pickers they tell you when they're going to come in there they tell you water off 48 hours before they come and everything else is on on their plate so that's why it's kind of appetizing for for my farm because in that particular instance we're gone bailing so i don't have to worry about having trucks and combines and guys and back to the logistics yep and you're thinking about what you're doing at that time yeah so right now or even two months ago i'm thinking okay where what are we going to be bailing where are we going to be at okay what works i can't grow that because i'll be robbing peter to pay paul you know if i'm over here doing this well chances are i'm letting this down over here and Mm -hmm. so you have to really look forward at your operation six months out but even in this year in particular with how the world's just a changing place every day it seems like um the corn um just jumped i mean it wasn't this price last year and so Mm -hmm. i had plans on growing one more sweet corn and double cropping it so by that i mean uh we plant wheat in the fall grow it up to where it's in its soft dough stage that's when it has the most protein it's the most valuable for the dairy and we cut it and then we spray it 
cut it, bale it off, and then we come and strip till in sweet corn. So when I'd seen corn start to rally dry corn, I completely switched up my, mm. my rotation probably two months ago. And so now, right today, we're spraying out all that wheat that we were going to try to double crop, and now we're just going to single crop it. Mm. So Interesting. Yep. Yep. A lot of factors to keep in mind. The, a lot. The water part is interesting to me, being from the west side. I mean, right now, we're still weeks, if not a month or more, for a lot of guys out from being able to plant their field corn, and they're just trying to get things dried out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they is. had the opposite problem. The dirt needs to be dry enough to be able to plant, and it's it's a battle sometimes to get it in, and it's almost always a battle to get it off, get it off. in the yeah. fall. I can only imagine with dry, you know, with dry corn being such a long day crop and then you get docked so much percentage if you're not at a certain moisture. So I'm sure you guys run into that as well because we run into that here and we're a lot drier and a lot windier. Well, yeah, and we don't, I mean, all of ours is field corn too, right? But still moisture matters as far as the the dairy nutrition, you know, so the dairies have nutritionists. They want to see a certain moisture level. For sure. You need that for ensiling and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's – when does uh, dry corn come off? Because that, that basically – I mean, the plant has to ripen and then basically start to die and dry down. dry out, yep. So right now we're planting 95 to 99-day corn. So um, we'll plant it now, and hopefully, hopefully um, around the middle of October – First of November, we've gone all the way past Thanksgiving and harvested corn to December wow. one, depending on where where it's at. I mean, it's kind of a question you ask yourself at the time. Do I want to take this at five, six, seven points higher on the moisture and then get docked that at mm-hmm. the at, at where we offload it? Or gamble or, that you'll be able to get it Or do you want to gamble the weather, which <laughs> yep. chances are you never win. Sometimes you do, but she's very unpredictable. And... Uh, gamble the weather and hope you get a couple winds and no rain and you'll get it. So yeah. Always a gamble. Like how long do we wait? I could go less time and make less money, but maybe I'll make more money, but maybe I'll get screwed and not make anything. And it really looks (laughs) absolutely. And then, and then from there you have to look at your fields and go, what's my next year's rotation? Because Maybe you're trying to get Timothy or or uh, wheat hay back in. If I wanted to take that from field corn, go wheat hay, and then back to sweet corn in the next June, well, then maybe that'll determine why I will be cutting that at five points higher because I need to get in there, work it, plant it, and move on. Now, if it's just going to go back to corn, I can keep that and and maybe roll the dice because I'll have I don't have to have the corn until this time next year. You know what I'm saying? So you must have like calendars and schedules and right things here. right here. But yeah, I, guys, guys, I, I it comes back to when I was younger doing this. It was when I was 21, 22. Well, I'm I'm 25, but I've learned lots, lots, lots overload of information of what I'm learning and. I just wanted to do, have a grasp on everything, you know, mm-hmm. but as I'm getting older and as I'm learning this industry, it's like, you can't do everything. You can't, you can't do all this yourself. And, and so I have a brother and dad, their schedules are booked. And then we have our guys under us that we give responsibility to because there's so much going on that, uh, 
that you, you got to delegate it out and you got to have good help um, to help you make the right decisions, get things in on time. And uh, that's a big thing I'm learning is investing into our people. Investing yeah. into our people is a big one. So they can make decisions on their own. Yep. Be self-starters and get things done. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and so I don't care. You know, I tell the guys, I may have 90'd it and you 45'd it, but the water's still getting there and uh, you won't hear it from me. You know, you know what needs to be done, get her done. And, uh, you know, I think they respect that as well because it kind of gives them that, that gratitude of it's kind of their project. They, yeah. they want that, you know, so, but yeah. I think that's huge for people. People don't like to be micromanaged. No, I hate it. I hate it. But, uh, and so, you know, me being the youngest brother and then my dad, I, I kind of had to deal with it coming into the farm and I hated it. And I was like, okay, I won't be doing this with my guys. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll give them the rope and hopefully they don't hang themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a lot of the times too is, is you can't teach, you can't teach half of this. It's, it's learn, you know, and we, you know, with some of my guys, we were gluing that main line. I told you before we started this, and uh, we had a couple joints that we did wrong. We had to put some couplers in and stuff. And um, just the other day, we went over the bills of what that intersection cost us. Cause pipes just crazy right now, expensive. Mm-hmm. And you know, show them so that they they understand. You know, because you can't just you can't just expect them to know know everything. I think if you give them the big picture, I think they'll yeah. they'll take it for what it's worth. You yeah, know? like this decision has a cost that goes with it. Exactly. This Ex- mistake has a cost exactly. that goes with it. Yeah, I don't think some, you know, some of our guys do, but some of our guys think, oh, what, it's just a 10 by 10 by 10 T. It's like, that's 120 bucks right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And we, we've we made three of those mistakes this week. So, you know, we can't yeah. be doing that, you know? Yeah. So. So you talk about being the youngest, in the family coming into the farm, how how far back in your family does farming go? Um, t- I'm technically second generation, so my dad bought um, into our first farm with my grandpa. So, um, and then my grandpa never ran it. He was the fire chief in Spokane. So mm. my dad would uh, came down here to Quincy when he was 17 and started doing a little bit of farming of himself, bought six acres into orchard with my grandpa and then ended up managing it with, uh, he was actually the foreman for the orchard he bought and Mm. then eventually ended up buying some more and developing and growing. And now here we are. And you said he does apples, cherries and pears, cherries and pears. Yep. I've heard people say pears are kind of a pain in the butt. Hit or miss. Yeah, they are. And, uh, they're, they're kind of hard to grow. I think the biggest problem with the pear is people don't know how to eat them. And so mm. if people could figure out how to cook them correctly or wait until they're actually ready, because you can't yeah. just grab a pear off a tree like you can an apple or a cherry and go, oh, that's mm-hmm. good, you know. So that's kind of sometimes you'll get a nice pear, sometimes you won't. Sometimes the pear's blooms don't set, and they're just really mm-hmm. finicky. They're super... Um, susceptible to fire blight so we're always constantly watching them for that and uh yeah they can be tough the market's definitely a roller coaster yeah so and that's mostly uh you know a market where you got to have a grade kind of fruit otherwise it goes what to juice yeah or peelers like uh just find it in like a little dull can you know right and stuff like that but that doesn't pay the bills that's that's 
you know, it's nice to do, it's nice, it's a nice alternative for your coals, but hopefully 70% of that been packed out into the fresh market, not 70% into the, the dull yeah. snacks. So, so if you do have a whole bunch of fresh pears, where do those end up? What do they do with them? Uh, they, they stores, you know, Kroger's, Walmart's, Costco's, um, kind of everywhere. That's up to the market. Once they're team. picked, how long can fresh, like what's their shelf life? at that point so i would say because they uh, keep ripening right you're picking them before they're ripe exactly and that gives you some time and that's why i kind of say that's where it's unlike any other fruit because cherry we pick it when it's ready and you better be eating it within 10 days right apple same way it's not like we're picking it and waiting for it to be ready so the the consumers need to understand that a pear isn't like the other fruits we go around here you need to give it time but i would say we pick it with a week left of its sugar's really dropping and and Mm -hmm. it becoming soft and 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 a good piece of fruit to eat and then i would say it could probably last you know depending on if it was refrigerated or on your counter you could probably have it for a week to 10 days and and it still be a decent yeah usually if i'm at the store i'm gonna pick a pear that's almost right yeah not quite yep exactly because if you know if you pick something that looks like it's turning from green to yellow or you know depending on the variety you're getting something that's you know already yellow and it's got kind of some dark marks on it yeah it's ripe it's ready to eat there in the store it looks so good yeah but by the time you get it home and it sits on the counter for a couple days and then you decide to eat it it could be mush could be mush (sighs) exactly it's uh, timing is huge with that i would imagine. yeah yeah and it's like we're doing everything on our part and that's why i don't put it entirely on the consumer but they just need to understand that 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 fruit's got a little yeah. window of where it's going to be the best and some people will eat them and never go back you know they yeah. get them like, oh, or they like eat a hard one like, no yeah, yeah so but apples will keep right apples will keep yes um and it depends on the variety depends on a lot of things i mean it depends on when they were picked when they were what what variety they are, et cetera, to to how well they how well they store, you know, and so. But several several months, several months, if and, stored correctly. And but pears won't. Pears are on that timeline that we were talking about. Um, right? can, can you put them in cold storage? You can put or? them in cold storage and and make them last. That's a good question on how fast their sugars and everything comes into play when right. they're in cold storage. That's a question. For my dad, but I yeah. think they probably are somewhere in between that apple, somewhere below the apple on storage. I don't think yeah. they store as well. No, you don't see guys so. storing pears around here. It's all apples. So, yeah. Obviously, you think about, in what you're doing, you're thinking about the people that ultimately are consuming the food that you're growing. Yep. What's that like on a day-to-day basis when you're out in the field? I, is that on your mind always daily always always i mean that's one of the best parts about my job is is seeing seeing something we work so hard for um leave the field and get put in the back of the truck and just i hope that they enjoy that as much as i did growing it and i hope that they uh you know it can bring a smile to someone's face and 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 be something good for them you know it always and it just makes you sick too and you have a problem and it's just like, man, I wish I could have had, you know, a better crop for, for my consumer, you mm-hmm. know, or because that's what we're, that's what we're doing. That's what oh. we're here for. If we can't get our consumers on our side, then what are we? Yeah. You know, so that's a big one. What is it that you think 
that consumer doesn't see though or doesn't know because they're i mean people just go to the grocery store and get food i just go to the grocery store and get food like i see the stuff that we grow locally even because i'm mm -hmm. in the farming community but like stuff that you guys grow over here i'm not around watching you guys grow it and harvest it what what do you think the the missing pieces are that people don't see in this current system i mean they need to take time to do their own research and and I guess take whatever they're reading for look into it a little more is what I would ask because mm. you know my my middle brother um, he's from Seattle or he he works in Seattle um, and a lot of his friends will come over here and go holy smokes you know we'll we'll drive them around the farm and they're like I had no idea I had no idea this is like this is how complex. Like, I hear you and your brother talk, you know, dad comes into the kitchen and hey, we got this problem, this problem, we need to do this. And they're just like, holy smokes, this is what goes into it. And all the little fine print that most people don't read that it takes to get a good product to them. And I mean, there's many steps from not only us, but the carriers that take it from point A to B, the packing sheds, the people that hand, handle that. I mean, there's many hands that handle that. And I think most people don't understand that. Um, some, um, a lot of people do, but I think that us as an agriculture industry, we've done a poor job in the past of showing people what actually we take it for granted. You know, we, right. we know, we know what goes into the day to day, but we don't do anything in particular to show the world what else it takes, you know, what's going into this cherry getting to them, you know what I mean? Or sweet corn or whatever it may be, you know? So what's your favorite crop of all of those, of all the stuff that you do? If you could just pick one. Oh, that's a, that's a vast question because it could be what's the easiest corn. Yeah, I like corn <laughs> because it's easy, but if you're looking at it from the money side, probably like cherries because cherries are done, you know, by July and then we're done. We don't touch them. We're apples. We're constantly in there training the trees. It's a lot more labor intensive. It's, you know, cherries it by the 10th of July. We don't do anything but give them a couple shots of water and maybe a spray application, and that's it. Mm. And we go to prune them. We prune with chainsaws, so you're taking out a whole limb instead of several branches, and you really have to look mm. at an apple tree, and, and you cut too much, you're not going to have fruit that year, you know. And where you cut, you're going to have an explosion of new limbs. So if you cut too much, then the next year you may be too heavy on fruit. And so it's a very fine game you have to play with with an apple crop, an apple tree compared to a ch cherry tree. And so that's why I guess my answer would be that. So much. Every, every thing that we bring up here is just more and more layers of complexity. Yes, yes. And, and that's why, I mean, I don't know it all by any means, but I am definitely a very open-minded person and, and you got to listen to these, these older guys that have done it for years because they can save you a lot of money and a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time, you know, you, they've been through the school you of hard knocks. A guy that says, oh, I, I know what to do. It's like, no, you should just listen. It's, there's, there's a lot of truth to be, to be had with what they say. You know, you can learn a lot. Such a balance with that, though, because I also hear from people, even on this podcast, that are like, yeah, you know, there's the old way of doing things, and I want to, you know, I'm whatever generation, new generation taking on the farm. I, there's better ways to go about this. 
on a variety of levels that people want to try this or that, or, you know, whether it's the logistics of how they're doing it, the technology that they're using, yep. the, you know, the actual cultural practices in the field. So where is that balance where it's like, ah, oh, listen to what the, the old timers say, because they have that school of hard knocks yep. experience versus trying something new and breaking out of the mold. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it, I think there's a medium there. I do. I think there's a lot of lessons that you can learn from the old timers, but there's also um, several new, you know, there's a lot of young, it's a young man's world, you know, and there's a lot of new um, ways of doing things, you know, dad's used to growing apples, um, you know, at five foot spacings with no trellis and picking 60 bins to the acre. And now, you know, we've this orchard right here that you see out to our right, it's at two feet at over a thousand trees to the acre. And we're picking over a hundred bins to the, to the acre. And we have trellis wires out there and it's way more complex. And so it's constantly changing. The, the answer lies somewhere in the middle of, of you have, you can't be closed minded on new things, but you also can't just take what you've been doing for years and put it on the back, put it on the back burner because so I guess that question lies somewhere in the middle. So where did your dad learn what he knows? Cause you said your grandpa wasn't in farming. So um, you like, was your dad new to farming when yeah, you started? Yeah. Get your ass kicked and not want to do that again. <laughs> you know, just not again, a hard knocks. Yep. Yep. Prune it too hard. And, and, and go, wow, I will never do that again. And that's what dad, you know, when he taught us how to prune, he goes, go do that row, you know, and I just butchered it. I was like, dad, this is the best tree ever. This is going to be the best row ever. And he's like, like watch there's going to be 10 cherries on that tree and they're all going to be the size of softballs. Yeah. But, uh, there goes that, you know, that's going to be a two year fix, but it was, you know, I watched it, pruned it the next year and that's kind of how I learned. But you can't teach someone how to prune a tree on a whiteboard. You get, that's something yeah. you're going to have to go and do yourself and, and learn. Oh, and he gave you the freedom then to fail, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Oh, to, yeah. to be able to make those mistakes and learn from Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you have to. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a visual person, but, I mean, you can't. Every tree's different. Every rootstock's different. I mean, a cherry isn't just a cherry tree. There's several different rootstocks for apples and cherries and and that determines their vigor and that determines everything and so it's it's something you just have to keep in the back of your mind you know so we're mm -hmm. trying to get everything with our late with the way labor's going we're trying to get everything streamlined so every planting we're trying to use the same root the same spacing the same everything so because it's really hard to teach our guys how to prune one block and then they go into another block and it's like what you just told them to do, they I can't do, do over here. Yeah. It's like, you'll yeah. cut out all our fruit in this block. So it's like, it, it can be really hard. So our mm -hmm. way of adapting to it as, as the owners of the farm is streamline it, you know, get, get the same plantings, try to grow the same spacings and, and, and everything. So to try to ease the labor, labor's everything right now for us. Yeah, talk about that. I know there's a lot of pressure on that. A lot of people are saying it's really hard to find workers, um, especially harvest time and you know, rules and regulations are changing, all this stuff. What, what's the biggest struggle that you see in that realm, getting all the work done that needs to get done on a farm? Um, 
the struggle that I see is um, just finding bigger picture people that, I mean, you're always going to have guys that the nine to five guys on our farm that just, you know, show up, leave, don't, don't yep. really care about anything other than the tree they're pruning. And so you mm-hmm. got to have some guy manage that. And it's getting really hard. It's getting really, really hard. We've actually, we can't find a whole lot of locals. We've almost 80% all H2 now, which is sad mm-hmm. because I'd rather see the money go to my local economy. But because um, everybody knows a lot of the money just goes back to, to Mexico. Yeah. Um, but no, but we can't get our output out of the local guys, nor can we find them. You know, mm-hmm. those guys have just, they'll just hop around all over mm-hmm. and, and, but we're learning to find a really good guy and, and invest in him and give him some responsibility and hope that he can, he can run a crew really. Yeah. That's what it's coming down to, but it, it's getting a lot harder and it's a lot more expensive than it was even three or four years ago. A lot more expensive. Finding good supervisor sounds like a pretty key thing too. Just because with some of the controversy even around labor or, you know, when there's frustrations in a workplace and, you know, people are saying, oh, this is a, you know, this farm is bad or whatever it is, often that will come down to the supervisor Mm -hmm. and how well that person is managing their crew. Often in farming, it's like the supervisors are the people who are good at their job, but that doesn't mean, you know, if they're good at doing the hands-on work, and this is across the board with farmers, doesn't necessarily mean that they're good at managing people, which can be a totally different skill set. You're exactly right. You're absolutely right. It is, that's what it, it, you have to be such a well-rounded person. I mean, not only do you have to understand the work they're doing and you have to have that kind of trust and, and, and also you can't be a person that's going to micromanage either because then your foreman's going to be mad and et cetera. You got to, that's why I said, give them the slack, but you, you're absolutely right. It is extremely hard to find. Well, and then if guy. you're, and he has to, and he's dealing with, you know, a people that have a very vast personalities out there. You know, mm-hmm. you got to treat everybody different and you have to understand every single employee that you're working with. Maybe this guy, you know, we have guys that don't do well with others. So we move them to their own area on the farm and they're rock stars over there. And we got some guys that just like to stir. And it's like, okay, we can't have him there. So he's going over and he's going to be in the nursery and it works. But if you don't understand that and you put two alphas together, guess what? You're going to have a fight. You know what I mean? Not, yeah. not, not that we're having brawls out in the orchard, but yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, we know who works good with what and, and what's their strong points. You have to understand a lot, your guys just as much as we have to understand how to grow the crop. We have to understand the guys that, that are helping us grow the crop. And I think a lot of people talking about what the consumer doesn't see. A lot of people don't understand that about farming, I think, because there's, and rightly so, there's a lot of talk about that in say you're more, typical nine to five office environment and good leadership and good workplace environment and communication and, you know, fitting people with the right job that they like and all that kind of stuff. Same thing applies out in the field is what you're saying. Uh, 100%. You know, dad always jokes. He's like, I don't even know if I'm farming anymore. I'm just managing people. And Mm -hmm. that's more and more of what my brother's day and day, day to day looks like is, is, um, 
just managing people, having them in the correct spot. You know, what do they enjoy? You know, you can't take a guy and put him in, put him in a certain, he may hate it and he just may, you know, but okay, what do you, what do you like to enjoy? You know, you like, um, wire and stuff. You like putting panels and pump stations. Okay. Well we've, we've got that. So let's put this guy here and 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 you got to look at everybody, um, as a whole, you know, and, and, and see what they enjoy and, and put them there, you know? And with your supervisors, you got to, if you're supervising somebody who's supervising people, it's tricky. When you got to trust that person to treat those people well. Yes. Yes. Because I, I see that being often where things break down. Mm-hmm. Where people say, I'm being mistreated in the workplace. And the farmer saying, you know, I've always wanted to make sure that you were taken care of as well as possible. Yep. But maybe their supervisor decided he didn't care. Yep. No. And, and you're, you're exactly right. And, and that's a huge part, you know, is... I, I want to focus more as we get into, as I get into this career of mine, is um, investing in the people. You know, farmers invest, um, and, I, and I think you have to now, and, and I think you could get away with it 10 years ago. Like, there was no shortage of good labor. There was no shortage. Of, so it was like, okay, if this guy doesn't work, then then we'll just, there's five other tractor drivers that asked for a job last week, where... I think you need to invest in your people and because like I said, we invest in a lot of other inputs, fertilizer, seed, land, this, that. And it's like, okay, what about the people that are out there doing it? Okay. So, um, take care of them, you know? And when you have a good guy, take care of him, take care of him because it, it can be hard, you know, someone leaves and you got to bring in a new guy that uh, is going to try to supervise. And that not only fl- flusters everything else out, you know, the crew, because they got a totally different manager coming in. They may get it. They may have gotten used to this style for the last two, three years. And now you got mm-hmm. this guy thinking he knows it all or whatever. And it's like, whoa, 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 dude, you can't be coming in here like that. You're going to lose all respect with your crew. And if you do that, then I get to deal with it. When I have right. to deal with it, then now why should I have you if your crew doesn't like you? Right. So it's uh, it's it's just big bigger picture stuff. You got to yeah. be thinking of all this. And this is what every farmer's thinking of constantly. Yeah. <laughs> you talk about um, needing to use the H two A program, the guest worker program, to get enough workers to get some of the jobs done. I would imagine that's primarily during harvest times or. Yeah, so we, it was, um, we've had H2 guys for now three months. Mm-hmm. Um, we normally got them right before cherry harvest. So we normally get them a few right now and then majority in June, uh, middle of June. And then we'd go cherries, pears, apples, and they'd leave like November 1st. That's so, interesting. So now we're, we're almost all H2. So we try to, and that's where our, part of our diversification comes in and that's why it's really kind of nice because the hardest part is uh, of a farm is 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 absolutely managing your labor and um if with our farm being so diversified you know we have nursery stock and then our row crop side and and cattle and this and that is we can you know dad can call me and say hey i got four tractor drivers today like that I don't have any tractor driving or vice versa. And it's like, okay, bring them on over here. It's like, you got to fill, you got to, you got to fill the workload with the labor you have. And so 
we bring them in for pruning now and then we go through our nursery then we dig then we plant and then we do all the trellises you see out here and then we'll move from there straight into cherries and we've planted our cherry varieties to where we we have uh you know we we have sweethearts skinas beings crystallinas and those all come differently so that we're we don't have 80 guys sitting waiting for a crop to ripen you know they're going from one variety to the next and then pears and then we have three varieties of pears and then apples and then fill keep them busy because that that's that's from a management standpoint that's the easiest part because everybody knows like picking fruit that's the easy part it's the times of years like this where we got guys pulling trellis guys putting drip in guys trapping gophers guys driving tractors and it's like takes three hours in the morning just to get everybody set on autopilot where if you can structure structure it that way it can be a lot easier so we're basing a lot of our rotations and decisions based off of our labor especially with how hard it is to find and and what we're paying now for it yeah and what you're paying for that's an interesting part too for a variety of reasons one is the h2a program has been kind of controversial right yep and I think there some people have the perception that it's like a kind of a cop out or a way to get cheap labor There's for your nothing farm. Cheap about it, there's nothing cheap about it. Yeah, and that that's where I, I think there's some misunderstanding on on how the program actually works, right? I'll tell you how the program works. So <laughs> we have to pay for when we went from this is our fifth year H two. We used to this is how we handled cherry harvest in the past. We'd put a list on our door with name number have you worked for us how many of there are you and um where you're from mm-hmm. and we used to have two three four hundred people show up at uh you know before cherry season from all over all walks of life and, and it was great you know hire them pay them per bucket pay them per hour of the minimum wage Really easy. I mean, they were coming to us. Now we're going to They're probably making more than minimum wage mostly, though. But you have to make sure that they don't make below that, right? Yes. Even at a piece rate. Yep. Yep. And so now um, we've had to, since then, when we went H2, we've had to buy seven people-for-people buses. Um, That was an expense we didn't have before. Mm -hmm. We've had to build housing for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Several hundred thousand dollar investment there. We have to almost have a half of our secretary's job is to re, uh, deal with all the paperwork that comes with this as well. So that's kind of mm-hmm. eaten up her. We're to the point where we almost need another secretary because she's dealing with all the paperwork that comes with a federal program like that. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, half of her salary goes and uh, is devoted to that. We have to pay for their way here. Um, like their a, flights. Their flights. Okay. So. Everybody's been to Mexico, times it by 70, 80, 100, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we have to drive them to and from the store once a week, provide mm-hmm. them with a guaranteed 350 hours every five weeks, or we pay for them, or we pay for that anyways. So if there isn't enough work to do, you still have to pay Correct. up to that guarantee. Correct. Correct. And if you take them from your farm and say, oh, well, my neighbor farm, he needs some help. Well, then he has to be bound to the same contract you signed for H2. So let's say his labor was $12 an hour. He got, you know, guys locked in at that. That's good for him. But guess what? We're fourteen seventy five over here. And if you want my H2 guys, you have to pay your whole farm this. Yeah. And so 
it's not a cheaper alternative. Not just the H two A four seventy fourteen dollars and seventy seven cents this year an hour, and uh, that's what when I, I said it earlier. That's what kind of frustrates me. These guys are superstars. I mean, they're great. We couldn't run our farm without them, and I, you know, we, we all appreciate appreciate it. But I would rather. Everybody knows that they get their check on Friday. 70% of it goes to Mexico. They just wire it down there. 30% stays with them. They're, just, they're spending money here and there, but they're not, I mean, they're not paying for gas. Mm-hmm. They're not paying for transportation anywhere. They're not paying for their flight. And so none of this money is staying locally in the United States, really. That's where my problem is, is we could be paying American right. people. And so cheaper, but, they, but cheaper? You, no, no, not, it's not cheaper. cheaper, not cheaper when it comes to locals. I would say the only guarantee is, is the guys will show up every day. The mm-hmm. guys will show up every day because if not, then they go home where mm-hmm. our local guys, they'll just go and leave for 25 cents just to milt or McDougal or whoever's hiring down the road. And they'll be back in three years asking for a job because you may be paying the 30 cents higher. But those guys come and go, and that's super frustrating. So that's one thing that H2 has guaranteed us is our labor is here when we need it. So there is a lot of competition between farms of who's paying how much. Yeah. What puts a lid on that? Why why don't you just pay more and more and more? How bad you need a guy and what it's worth. You know, yeah. what what's he doing, you know, and how bad do you need him? If, if And then that decision is based on what's on the other end. Why do you need him? Okay. What, Mm -hmm. what's that going to cost you if you don't get a guy in place? Okay. Well, if that outweighs this, hire him for what you think he's, he's worth. So the H2A program isn't necessarily what people think it is. No. And like I said, do your own research or Mm -hmm. call guys that have that are, that are doing it and understand it a little more before you have your opinions. (laughs) And you say you'd rather hire I domestic. would rather hire locals. Yeah, I would. Um, but they're that's just, just not, the not case. around? No, no. They're not around. No. We cannot, we cannot find enough labor right now to run our farm today with locals. Hmm. Not even close. Like I said, we're 80-20 now. So five years ago, we were 100%. And then 80-20, we've worked our way yeah. completely backwards. Wow. And yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot more hurdles to jump through. It's uh, you know, now we're managing, you know, get done with a day of work and, oh, the air conditioner in one of the H2 houses isn't working. Okay. Well now I'll put on my contractor hat and go and deal with that. And it's just like, we've never had that five years ago. We never had, you know, on a Sunday, me my dad, my brother, and, and two other guys have to drive, um, spend three hours of our Sunday to drive them to, uh, walmart and stuff like that so it's just a lot more on us they took yeah. not only more money and more of an investment for us but now more of our time what about state changes with labor and the rules and what you have to pay and overtime i think that, that it's changing things in a big way and uh a lot of our guys aren't for it if they would have known that this was going to be happening. They maybe would have spoken up and been a little louder, but a lot of our guys, when I've mentioned to them, you know, what do you think about 40 hours? And then, 
oh, well, that, that sounds great. Well, how about if I told you you're only working 40 hours because that's how I'm going to handle this situation is you're going to work your 40 hours. I may give you, if I really need to, which then again, you have to look at, okay, what's he doing? You know, if he's disking a field, okay, well, that can wait or I'll get another guy and work him 40 hours. But a lot of our guys are frustrated because they put their car payments. They've, a lot of our local guys are frustrated because they put their car payments, their rent and everything at 65 hours. I'm working for car yeah. setters at their 65 budget. hours. Their budget, yeah. And I've budgeted for this, and now you're going to cut me to that? I said, well, I'm, my hands are tied. I just this, this is where we're at. So know? why don't you just pay the overtime? Why don't you just pay the time and a half? We... It goes back and forth. Now, if you can find the guys to run maybe a double crew or find three guys to supplement the hours for everybody else instead of working, yeah. at, let's say we took five guys at 60 hours and brought them to 40. If you can find two rock stars to fill the gaps, then that would certainly be the move, I think. But if you can't, like in some instances, we are, we are, we are paying the overtime um a little bit we try to you know after that 40 hours we're going to be really looking at what what they're doing is that a manageable cost is that sustainable for the farm uh no i mean it just seems like every day there's something some other thing that passes legislation that just takes our bottom line out you know that h2 program that when we switched i mean we're well into well over a half a million dollars once you go into housing what we're paying these guys because we were paying our locals like 12 bucks five years ago and now we're paying 1470 for these h2 guys and we've paid for their plane tickets and we've bought these buses and we've built these buildings i mean it took a half a million dollars off our bottom line like that and it hasn't stopped mm. it's it's constant and so it's it's really hard to uh to just keep up with what's with what's coming down the pipeline, you know, you you know more than anybody. <laughs> I've heard plenty about it for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, what's next? What, what 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 do you think happens with all of this? Sadly, sadly, and I I I don't want to see it, but you're pushing us to the point where we're just gonna um, go, you know, automation. Mm. You know, I would way rather. You know, I, I have, we've got guys that, you know, watched me grow up, came to my soccer games and I've grown up with their kids and I love their families. I love everything that they're about. I love that they've helped us create this business of ours, but when the state, not necessarily them, it's not necessarily them. It's, which is another problem I have, but it's not necessarily them. It's the state saying, oh, this is what's better for them. It's like, well, how about you ask them? You know what I mean? But it's just going to push us to either a really look at our operation and go, Hey, we'll put the whole thing in corn and I'll, mm. I'll drive a combine. Dad will drive a bank out. Cause it, it, it's not where it's getting to the point where where's our incentive as a business owner of a farm to want to deal with all of this day to day. It's like when you take that much meat off the bone, then we're going to have to adapt. And I think adapting is cutting labor, off your operation maybe you're not such a high labor operation which is costing a lot of our good guys jobs or automation you know apple picker is going to be someone comes up to our farm and says we got an apple picker that'll pick 100 bins an hour or 50 bins an hour i'll take five 
And what's that do to my town? What's that do to my city? What's that do to my state? What's that do to all the families that depended on us? Um, not good, not good. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to do that, but they're kind of forcing us to look that way. Mm-hmm. And that's sad to me because I know a lot of people are going to lose their jobs over it. Mm-hmm. What about you? What's your future? You just want to keep doing this? This yeah. is, this is, yeah, this is, uh, I enjoy it. You know, I've, I've always wanted to, to farm. It's always caught my eye and dad, dad did a pretty good job of setting the hook, I would say. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, no, I'm here to stay. I'm here to adapt to what they're going to throw at me and, uh, make the best of it. And hopefully can make the right decisions long enough to hand it off to another generation. So you want to have kids and have yeah. them continue it on. Yeah, I would love that. And my, my brother actually just had a, a daughter four weeks ago. And so that's, that's exciting, you know, having something else to work for yeah. other than, you know, myself and my family yeah, my crew. So it's exciting. But I told him I'm going to get her a gavel instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of uh, tractors to play with because also farming is getting to the point where you better dot all of your I's and cross your T's and underline everything twice and circle it. Because if you don't, someone will come and take you to the cleaners. And that's just, you mean like getting sued, sued lawsuits. I mean, in the day and age we live in now, Mm. I mean, you have to, I mean, we've fired guys and have had to hire them back because we didn't fire them for probable cause. And it's like, okay, well, how about he didn't show up to work? And mm-hmm. he didn't do what I asked. Well, that's not good enough anymore. So now my brothers and my dad and I, we, we have to create this paper trail and really just keep an eye out because there's farms that have damn near gone under because mm. they've been sued. And it's a changing world. And so um, it's just sad to see. Does all that extra, pr- I mean, you, early on in our conversation, you described all the like just normal pressure, you know, weather, logistics, yeah, everything, you know, all the cultural practice, everything you need to know to farm and figure out. But then on top of that, you're talking about the, particularly the, the labor stuff and legal pressures and things like that, economic pressures. Does all of this worry you? For oh, continuing on the farm? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every, I mean, every day. Every day I get on the internet and read some other new article of what someone's trying to pass, and I, and I get really frustrated and just go, that's not right. That's not what we're trying to do. That's not what we have ever intended for. That's not what farmers stand for. And But you know that they're, they – the people that are publishing those articles have so much backing and all the right resources in place to maybe talk people into believing that. And that's why I thank you for doing this. I do. And we, we need more guys like you getting the word out and, uh, and, and explaining to people what really goes, what really happens, you know, and what, what really, what that article really actually means behind, right. Behind closed door. You know? Right. What about for your long term? Does that make you think, gosh, if this keeps up, like maybe I shouldn't be farming for the rest of my life? That's why I'm getting uh, Kinsley's, her name, a gavel, because she'll be uh, <laughs> fighting for us in the courtroom as I'm uh, out here growing the crops. You think that's so what it's going to take to be able to continue? 
I think, uh, yeah, accountants mm. and attorneys right now around the world and, and news media, bad news media, but mm. I can do, I can be the best farmer in the world and grow the best crop. But if I can't cover, cover myself and certain allegations and situations and it, it, it can all be taken from me at any moment's notice. Mm. Whether I thought I was making the right decision or not, you know, and, and you never, you never know. You mm. never know. So I don't, I don't see myself doing anything else. I don't. I enjoy farming. And uh, I just hope we can get some of this stuff figured out. <laughs> this is not looking good. It's not. Well, I appreciate your honesty about it. Yeah. And, and just kind of laying it out there, both how everything works on the farm and all the pressures that you're facing and how you're really feeling about the future. Like on one hand, you're optimistic and you're determined you're going to keep doing this. But at yeah. the same time, it sounds like you're really concerned too if it will be doable and sustainable. It definitely crosses the mind. I mean, a lot of us will call each other, my friends and stuff, and be like, did you see this? And we're like, we can't have that. And like. Uh, for instance, that overtime back pay deal. It's like, oh, like that would, that would, for my personal farm, yeah, that would wreck me. I mean, mm. there's, that, that can't be a thing. That, if, mm. if that were to have happened in my operation, then it would have been game over right there. You know what I mean? I don't have, I haven't been farming long enough. I don't got reserves around to be, to have something like that come, come to me. And so it's, like I said, it's just really frustrating and, a lot of the times it's like, who do you go to? Like you can call your legislator a thousand times a day, but he, and I know he's doing everything he can, but it seems like sometimes it's just uphill, you know, yeah. both ways, yeah. just a losing battle in some cases. And, uh, that's another conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Well, thanks for having me to the farm and, and, uh, filling me in on, on what life is really like out here. Absolutely. And you're welcome anytime. And I, like I said, I appreciate you doing this. It's really cool. And, uh, I've, I've listened to most of your, your podcasts and, and it's cool to get the side of the point of views from, from other farmers too. You know, you can learn a lot from listening to yeah. these. And so we, I appreciate that. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Normally this is the point where I'm supposed to be thanking you, but Hey, Hey, hey. <laughs> I'll take it. Thanks so much. Not a problem. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 